You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. It is a great day. And the reason it's a great day is because God made it. Uh, None of us can make a day. Did you ever try to make a day before? No? Like get the whole universe to work in in sync? Uh, God does that all the time. So I I just love him more and more every day as every day passes. And so, so thankful to God for you all. I'm thankful for the guys that have been here a long time, the guys that are coming, the guys that are newer. Uh, We appreciate you all. And I just want to say that our number one value here at Westside Church is that we love God. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who loved us before we ever knew who he was, stepped out of eternity into time and space so that we could understand who he was in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I'm so thankful that he saved me. I'm so thankful that he puts up with me. Aren't you glad that he puts up with you? Aren't you glad he loves you too much to leave you the way you are? (laughs) I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful for a healthy church body and uh, looking forward to what God has for us. I just think in, in the spiritual realm out there that God is up to something. And it's it's like it's like he's got a little smile on his face, and he he knows that something's around the corner, and you're part of it, and he's got uh, good stuff ahead for us. It may not be easy. In fact, it probably won't be easy. It's going to be tough, uh, but it's going to mean uh, many many people coming to Jesus, many many people being restored in relationships uh, to one another and to the King and the Kingdom. Amen. 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 We got a lot of stuff going on. I thought uh, that Amazon Smile thing was funny, but I mean, we got our first check about a year ago from Amazon Smile. It was $91. Woohoo! Like this, you know. And then we've gotten a few since then. They keep getting a little bit bigger and bigger as people uh, learn about it. But uh, anyway, um, I don't know why I said that, but I just thought it was funny. Um, I'm going to continue our series uh, today. And I was going to say, you know, summer's about halfway through, but uh, for the kids, that's more than halfway through. We're into the second week of July now, and they go back in August, which is ungodly, by the way. So (laughs) I think they should have till at least after Labor Day. So some of the parents go, no, 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 we like them going back early. Um, But I've been enjoying this series on uh, misused, misunderstood, misquoted Bible verses, and uh, the theme has been consistent, that uh, uh, God is really asking us to take our next level of trust in Him uh, as we go through life. But um, I just uh, uh, want to encourage you to remember to pray for the Mexico team. We have 20 people down in Ensenada, Mexico, with our ongoing partnership with some churches in Ensenada there. Uh, pray for them. But... Uh, I wanted to open up this morning with a little bit of talking about Terry and me. Uh, Joe wasn't here Thursday night, so he didn't know I was going to do this. Uh, because it's, it's like an, a little bit of an intro into what I'm going to talk about today. Because I'm going to talk about the United States of America today. And I, I just want you to know that I love my country. I served in the military. I, 
I enlisted in the military and served honorably. And, and many of you have here, and many of you are serving in, in different capacities, first responders and such, and serving in, in government positions. And we love our nation, not overtly more than, than we ought to, but we are so thankful that God has put us here. And we know that uh, to whom much is given, much is required. We know that there's a lot required of us as a nation. But uh, Terry and I, the church before this church, we were in a church in Southern California for 22 years. It's where our kids grew up. That's where we grew up in our parenting and, and you know, marriage and went to all the classes over the years and, and uh, served the Lord there. I was in uh, leadership there on eldership uh, for the last 17 years that I was there. Um, but we were very, very involved. We were known as the couple that was involved in public policy, politics. Terry had a, a ministry called Action on Issues where she set up a table and registered voters and let people know about moral issues that were uh, affecting uh, our culture and things like that. And, and uh, she went on, on countless uh, protests of pro-life, you know, standing for pro-life and, and visited Sacramento. We went to Washington and... and um, she was even elected to local political office in Southern California, and and I was uh, I w- I would actually uh, be involved to the to the extent where I'd take local uh, state uh, senators and assemblymen out for, for lunch, talk to them, kind of get their views on things, and maybe make a recommendation to some people that I knew. And uh, I, I remember there was a couple times where I tried to get a couple guys together to step down because there was three of this kind of category and one of this one that we didn't want in and, and uh, get them, why don't you guys all go together? And there's, you know, of course they would never hear that. But, uh, but I tried and then, and then and right before we moved up here, we were actually at a crossroad in our life. It was a three-forked road. We could stay on the road we were on. I was a school superintendent at our, at our church and um, that was my dream job. We had about 1,000 kids on campus every day, 120 employees, and, and uh, I got to think up stuff to do that everybody else had to do, and it was, I just loved my job. I loved being with the students. I uh, gave myself senior Bible class every year and taught the seniors, and, and uh, Terry was an attorney in, in uh, Orange County, and we were both living our dream jobs in our early 40s, and, and God said, uh, you're at a crossroads here, and you've got to make a decision. So one of the decisions we made was to stay where we were on. Another one was going to, me going into politics. I met with Terry and I met for lunch to explore the possibility with one of the senior guys in the state. He was running for lieutenant governor at that time to run for state assembly. And, and uh, the other option we had on, a, on the fork in the road was to lead a church or to possibly plant a church. And uh, actually, it wasn't a hard decision. I just said that to Terry this morning. I uh, don't want to overstate what we were involved in, but we were heavily involved in that. And, and uh, it wasn't hard because we knew that God was calling us to lead a church and make, make a midlife transition in our own lives and lay down what we thought were, were our dream jobs for what God's dream was for us. And I'm so glad that we did. And, um, and then uh, serving, serving the Lord in the military and and getting teary-eyed at Star-Spangled Banner when it's sung at a sporting event, if they're good, if they sing good, uh, you know. But uh, 
Um, I'm, I'm a person who deeply loves this country, and we feel like we've served this country, and I know, I know you do too. Um, but I'm going to share a verse that's often taken out of context, and here's the verse. It's going to be very familiar to many of you. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and restore their land. It's a very famous verse. If you ever are involved in National Day of Prayer, uh, you'll hear that verse quoted a lot of times. I will. We took our eighth graders every year to Washington, D.C., to the National Day of Prayer, and had Shirley Dobson and congressmen and senators pray for our kids every year. We always work that out on that weekend, and, and uh, I've used that verse many times. But here's what I want to say, and I, I want to encourage you to listen to me to the end today, because I think I'm confident that you'll agree with me. I believe that this verse has been hijacked by many to mean that if Christians will just pray, not really humble themselves, not really repent, not really seeking His face, just pray, then God will restore America back to its former great self. Um, America. Right? Um, But this is truth. America is just like any other world power in history. World powers rise and fall. Only God's word will not pass away. So be very careful of equating America with Christianity. I remember I had a friend in the army once. I said, I said are you a Christian? He goes, I was born in America. And so that is the, I'm not saying this church, I'm saying the church in America, by and large, has equated, you know, God, mom, apple pie, you know, and the core, or something like this. And they're not the same things. They are different. Uh, Most world powers, uh, if they're at the top, they only remain at the top for a couple hundred years or so throughout history. And since we are in a, a, what is perceived as a great country right now, and pr- pretty much the world's only superpower, uh, so to speak, we th- and we're riding that wave right now, we think it's always going to be this way, because it's always been that way for us. Uh, it hasn't always been that way. Some of your great-grandparents who lived through World War I would know differently, and the struggles of the Great Depression and those kind of things. But right now, things are going pretty well on the outside uh, for our nation Uh, as bad as things uh, are. So, when we look at Scripture, we want to interpret Scripture faithfully. We want to make sure that we always approach God's Word in humility. We want to make sure that we read from the text and not into the text. In this case, this verse is being read into the text. This is talking about America, our country. If we just pray, we get Christians together and pray, God's going to heal our nation and restore us back to you know, where we were. We always want to understand the context. We're going to get into that in a minute. And we always let Scripture interpret Scripture. I love that. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And we always, always, always want to apply 
the Word of God to our lives. We, we really do. That's the, that's the tough part. So the context of this, um, this scripture here, if, if you want, let's go back to the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and He had a plan for us. He didn't need us. He wanted us. He created Adam and Eve. They sinned. They chose to sin. They chose to turn away, turn over to Lucifer, the dominion that God had given them over over this earth. And and then they had Cain and Abel, and then they had a, you know, generation after generation, the world got so wicked that God sent uh, Noah to uh, uh, bring his family out of the flood. God judged the world said he'd never again judge the world with a flood. And then uh, Noah and his family restart the thing. And then a few hundred years later, Abraham, God plucks him out of the masses of humanity and says, I'm going to bless you. If you'll obey me and follow me, I'm going to bless you. Bless your, the generations after you. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob uh, has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a famine. They go to Egypt. They stay there for 400 years. Pretty soon there's a pharaoh that doesn't know uh, uh, Joseph anymore, and uh, they start killing the Israeli uh, uh, babies and throwing them in the river, and God raises up a deliverer in Moses. They go out into the desert. Uh, They're released by Pharaoh after the plagues, and uh, they sin against God, so they wander for 40 years, and then they finally get into the promised land. He says, take the land little by little, which is a parallel of our own uh, life in Christ, that we get miracles to get saved, and then God says, you take the rest, you fight for this, so that I have every part of you. And so they're there for about 400 years going through this period called cycles where they uh, uh, repented and God came and delivered them and then they, then, then they forgot God and turned wicked again and then God would send uh, surrounding nations to hassle them, the Philistines or the Midianites or whatever, and uh, God would send a deliverer. These were called judges and this was a cycle of about 400 years of judges and then finally God chooses Saul to be the first king Uh, of Israel, and he starts out good, and then he kind of goes his own way, becomes very uh, self-centered, and then God raises up a a man after his own heart, David, King David, and that lineage is through which Jesus uh, uh, came, and and David had a whole heart after God, and then Solomon, he had a half a heart, you know, and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they split the kingdom uh, in two, and then there was a divided kingdom, and almost every single king, except a couple of the uh, the kings of Judah were good. Almost all of them were very evil. God said, I'm going to scatter you. The Assyrians came in, took Israel. The Babylonians took Judah. They were captive for 70 years. And then they return from there. God delivers them from, from there. They come back and, and Ezra rebuilds the temple. And Nehemiah builds the wall. And that's actually the last story uh, in the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years of silence when God brings the true deliverer, Jesus. So there's a little history of the Old Testament right there. But smack in the middle of that, when Solomon takes over from David, God appears to him in the night and says, what do you want? Solomon says, I'll take wisdom. God says, since you've asked for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom more than any other person ever. And not only that, I'll make you the richest guy ever. And I'll make your kingdom great. And my renown will be great. So then Solomon spends 20 years on the temple. And if we saw the temple today, we would be blown away. Uh, just David saved up in his own personal finances about 7 or $8 billion in gold and silver. 
and uh, the wood that they, they set aside for generations actually to prepare for that and all the other offerings, it was you know probably a 30 or 40 billion dollar structure. It's pretty magnificent when a whole building is covered in gold. And silver became so common then that people wouldn't even stoop to pick it up off the street because it was worthless. And when the temple was finished and they offered sacrifices, the fire of God came down in front of all the people and consumed the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord like a cloud descended over the temple. And the presence of Almighty God was in the midst of their city and their country. And God comes to Solomon and he says, Listen, it's been all through my word that I want you to obey me. Blessing comes with obedience. I want your people to follow my ways. I want you to obey me radically. Follow me. But... If your people don't, and pestilence comes, or drought comes, then if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Which means rain will come, or the pestilence will be delivered. That's the context of that. Now, that was for Solomon. That was for Israel at that time and that day. However, God's standard and God's principles always apply. So there's good news here. So that's more of the context in which that verse was made. Yes, it was specifically for the children of Israel. But the pattern of obedience is all through Scripture. Let's look at it. In fact... Some of you may have read uh, the love languages, the five love languages. You know, there's conversation and affection and acts of service, touching and gifts, right? I asked Terry what her favorite love language was. She says, all of them. So that's what she wants, all of them, especially <laughs> gifts. So <clears throat> do you know Jesus has a love language? Jesus has a love language. He said... In John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. Jesus' love language is our obedience, not our promises, not our intentions, our obedience, our follow through. Will we actually do what we said we would do when we said we would follow him? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Anyone listening to my teaching and follows it is, like, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 1.25, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So, 
Although God doesn't want us to equate this country with the kingdom of God, the United States of America with the kingdom of God, they're two separate entities, God does expect us to be good citizens and insert groans here, pay our taxes. <laughs> and pray for our leaders. Somebody must have deferred and their, their payment's almost due. So that's who that groan was from, I'm sure. So number two, God expects us to be good citizens, pay our taxes and pray for our leaders. So I'm going to read a couple of sections of Scripture. Here's Paul in Romans 13, 1 uh, through 6. Now, I encourage parents to teach this especially verse 1, to their children, have them memorize it. Uh, in the NIV it says, Everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So God put us here as your parents. God made us your authority. You must submit to the governing authorities. There's no authority that exists except that which God has established. When we leave and put the oldest child in charge... That's God's authority on us. We're delegating it to oldest child, and you have to submit to them as unto the Lord. It all goes as unto the Lord. And so one of the best things we can teach our children in a culture that puts bumper stickers on the back bumper that says, question authority, one of the best things we can teach our kids is that authority is from God and authority is good. Authority is for our protection. And it's God's way. So Paul says this here in Romans 13. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Wow. As believers, it takes, gives us a fresh look on this. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong, would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they'll honor you. Whenever I read that verse, I think of looking in my rearview mirror, going down the street at the speed limit, seeing a flashing red car in my rearview mirror, pulling over because I know it's not me thereafter, and let them on by, right? You're doing the right thing. But when I'm speeding... And I see the red flasher in my rearview mirror. Then you go, ah, ah. roll down the window, hand steering wheel, you know, license and registration and proof of insurance in your hand, ready to go. Because, why? Because if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants. Here you are, servant of the Most High God. Here's my stuff. <laughs> Sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Wow. If we understand spiritual authority, if we understand that we're always either in authority or under authority, we'll, we'll be way better off uh, instead of fighting things that we ought not to fight, understanding that God puts things in place the way He wants. You know, what if your skin cell says, No, we don't want to be on the outside. We want to be on the inside. We don't want to take all the brunt of everything. 
we're rebelling against what God instituted. We're going to go on the inside, and you're just going to be like silliness. It just doesn't work. God sets things up. He even set up the Roman authorities, who, who Paul just was uh, speaking to people who were under the oppressive rule of the most brutal regime the world had ever known. And he said, pay your taxes and do what's right. Get along here. Because this world is not the kingdom of God. You're in this world. And, and we know now that Rome built roads all around. And if they hadn't done that, if there hadn't been relative safety throughout the empire, that the early missionaries and apostles couldn't have gone and planted churches everywhere like they did. And we know that now that God, God instituted America to have a season where we're the most generous nation in the history of the world as far as missionaries and been planting uh, uh, churches and ministries and hospitals and orphanages and, and just everywhere around the world because God put that here and then we have this responsibility as believers. Even though we don't agree with many of the politics that are going on right now. So Jesus says something similar. In Matthew chapter 22, then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of the disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. Can you hear the like dripping? You teach the way of God truthfully. You're impartial and don't play favorites. Now, tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But All the crowd looks at Jesus' response. What is he going to say? What's he going to say? And then he says, uh, you hypocrites, because he knew their evil motives. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. It was probably a denarii. When they handed him a Roman coin, he said, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and went away. You're like me. I would love to have been there. Wouldn't you love to have been there? He, he said these things so many times. They tried to trap him, and he would just give them answers that amazed them. Uh, that's, to me, that's incredible. What he's saying is, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We are simply pilgrims passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our first uh, response there. Several weeks ago, we talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, the plans that God has for us and how that one has taken out of, uh, out of context. But we know that our citizenship, our, prim our primary focus is on the king and the kingdom, not on this world. So we live in a fallen, sinful, corrupted world where none of us will make it out of here alive. We have to keep that in the forefront of our thinking. So many of us live for today. Remember about a year ago, I had that long, long white rope. I think I stole that from uh, Francis Chan. Illustration. A long, 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 long white, right, white rope. It's supposed to go on for infinity. And on the last little end, I had a little piece of red tape, you know, about an inch long at the end. And I said, this is eternity. This is where we're headed. This is what we're living for. 
But right now here on earth, it's just this little piece of red. Just this big. And we do our, all our plotting and planning for this part. It's just a sliver. That's our retirement. We live, 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 do, 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 just for there. Actually, we have a retirement in eternity where moth and rust don't corrupt and thief doesn't come in to, to uh, steal. And this is what we're living for. Where are we living? Solomon said we have eternity in our hearts. Are we just living for this or are we living for that out there? And number three, and... Not only are we to be good citizens and vote and conscientiously look at the, the, uh, the ballot initiatives and, the, and the, those running for office. And, you know, the president of the United States is not the only office. There's thousands of offices. We're to pray for, for these people. And God expects us that we place a higher priority on our citizenship in his kingdom. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink, and enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest, or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can they? No. It doesn't matter what we worry about. It's not going to change the length of your life, one iota. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Have you ever looked at um, the finest silk under a microscope? The closer you get in, the more it looks like burlap. Can you picture that? closer you get in there it's scratchy and ragged but if you take a microscope and look at a flower the closer you get the more magnificent and beautiful it becomes because God made that and God will certainly take care of you is what Jesus is saying if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? These things, I wonder if Jesus said it that way. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. So if you don't know what your priorities are, he says your first one is the kingdom of God. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So where do we spend our energy and where do we place our priorities? I love the story that's told of the college professor puts a big jar, like a big empty pickle jar up on his desk, and he takes some big rocks and he puts them in one by one until it's full to the top. He says to the class, is, is the jar full? And they go, yeah. So then he gets some gravel. He starts pouring the gravel in and filters its way down all the way to the top. He says, now is it full? And they said, 
Um, we don't know. Because <laughs> they're like, he's going to get him again. So then he takes some sand and pours it in there and shakes it down until it's full to the top. He goes, now is it full? And one of the guys goes, I think so. He gets a big pitcher of water. Pours the water in until it's full to the brim. He goes, what can we learn from this? And one guy in the back says, uh, no matter how busy you are, you can always fit something else in. <laughs> he goes, no, that is not the point of this exercise. He says, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in later. You might hear that lingo around here sometimes. We'll have a calendar meeting, a big rocks calendar meeting, where we put, right now in 2017, all the big rocks are in for Westside. We put the big things that are important. We've got a huge Easter celebration in 2017. And we're gonna, that's going to be a huge priority over at the fairgrounds. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, all, all these things. There's a big equip down in Southern California next, next June. And, you know, things like this. Our Mexi- you know, the big things are in place already. And then as we get closer and closer, we fill it up with the gravel and the sand and the water. As we get closer. So our priority, if you don't know what your priority is, whether it's job, family, home, career, all this, your first priority, you can sort those other ones out. Your first priority is the kingdom of God, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer. So how can we apply this? Number one, we can live in two worlds at one time. We can. I can live in this world and live in the kingdom at the same time. Right now, I am 100% male. I am a man. And right here... I'm 100% American. I'm an American. I'm living in two worlds at the same time. We can do these kind of things. I am a unique person made by Almighty God, and I am a follower of Christ. I'm a fully devoted follower or disciple of Christ. I'm, I'm those same. I can be, live in those two worlds at the same time. God has put eternity in my heart, so I live in this present world with my sights set on his kingdom. That's how we live. Number two, I can be a good citizen of this earth and of heaven at the same time. Actually, another way to put this, I love this, is we are citizens of heaven and residents of earth. I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm just here residing temporarily. We are to pray for rulers and those in authority. Paul says that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So that you can live a quiet and peaceable life. Pray for those things. Care for those things. Be a good citizen uh, of this earth and of kingdom. How do we do that? How, it's like, ah, uh, how do I juggle all this? Have you ever tried to put all your priorities down? Micah, the prophet of the Old Testament, had this same issue. God was demanding obedience from his people. And Micah goes, what do you want? Have you ever said that to God? He said, what do you want? My firstborn? I don't know if I'd say that to God that way, but Micah was pretty upset. And God says to him very kindly and gently, he says, he's shown you, man, what's good for you, what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Do justly. Do the right thing. Wherever you are, any time of the day, do the right thing. Do 
justly. Walk in righteousness. Love mercy. Care. Care. Give a rip about others. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Because you know why? Because God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. I don't want God opposing me. If anybody in, in the whole universe opposes me, the worst one that I don't want opposing me is Almighty God. He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Of anybody in the universe I want giving me grace, heaping grace upon me, grace to continue on, grace to carry on, grace to follow through, great grace to do what the, the tough things that God has called us to do. Grace, God heaps it on you. He, he gives grace to the humble. He's shown you, oh man, oh woman, what's good and what the Lord requires of you. Do the right thing. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. Particularly, don't worry, number three. Paul says in Philippians 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything, Paul says. Instead, pray about everything. Wow. Put that on your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. How do we do this? How do we pray without ceasing? As Paul just says uh, uh, a few verses earlier. How do you pray without ceasing? It's very simple. You ask God to give you an intimate awareness of his close proximity and presence every moment of every day. You have this ongoing, can't really call it conversation, because it's like two equals. We, we more hear from him. We, we, we cry out and then receive from him. But this prayer thing. And, and so young people have stumbled onto this ongoing conversation. They got 30 or 40 conversations going on at the same time. Between their seven and, and 1,500 texts a day, the average teenager has with a cell phone. 700 and, and 1,500. Like this. Well, probably an hour. So. And it's not, hi, how you doing? Oh, like this. All the, all the salu, uh, salutations and the, what's the opposite one? The greetings and the... Yeah, the hellos and goodbyes. It's just ongoing. They might not have texted somebody for a week and they just pick up the conversation. Why can't we be aware of God every moment of every day and keep the conversation going? Paul says we can pray without ceasing in your workplace, in the the tough times, decisions, on the road, in the grocery store, in the neighborhood, in the house. God is there. I think it was Brother Lawrence who... Who his diary, the, uh, practicing the presence of God. That was his goal as a cook in a monastery, to become aware of God's presence every moment of every day. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live 
in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about anything excellent or worthy of praise. Don't fix your thoughts on elections and tribulations, caustic conversations. Fix your minds on things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Fix your mind on those things. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Don't worry if your kids are going to make it or get hurt. Yes, do a good job raising them. And if you're older and your kids are older, you still are going to be concerned for them. Pray. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. I want to encourage you. Westside is a praying church. I wish that the church in America would pray more. I, I want to encourage you to pray personally on your face before God, in your closet, Jesus said. That means getting in a place where nobody else is. Pray as couples. Pray as families. Pray in your small groups. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Pray at your workplace. Pray in your schools. We pray as a church. First Wednesday of every month, we meet in here at 6.30. And the elders have called the church at Westside to come and pray at 6.30 on the first Wednesday. If you're part of Westside, the trumpet's being blown. I encourage you to be there, to respond to the trumpet call. The call to gather, the call to pray. And if something happens really awful, then we're going to pray here every night. If something happens like, say, way worse than 9-11, we have signs already made. We're going to put them out on the street. A national emergency prayer meeting tonight, 6.30. Come in here and pray. If something is horrible, horribly wrong, something really bad happens, make your way here and we're going to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Not so that their land can return to its former greatness and supremacy, but so that they can carry on with the work that I've given you, the call that I've given you, because time is short. Jesus is coming back. I honestly believe that our nation is suffering because the church is not praying and seeking him with all their heart. And I'm thankful for so many in this church who are Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. Weakness leaning on omnipotence. Us leaning with Almighty God. It's like trying to break a matchstick, but you put it next to a big number 10 nail and try to break it. You can't. It's weakness leaning on omnipotence. Let's be a praying people. Let's not be a worrying people. And specifically in light of the state our country is in, there's a lot of trouble in this land. Let's look to God first. Let's not try to analyze everything. Let's do our part where we can. 
and do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God and give it to God so that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And Father, thank you for this word. We thank you that you are almighty God, that you're omnipotent. You know everything. You're everywhere. We don't have to worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.